Chapter 6 Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, welcome everybody, and we're into the Gospel series. We're still in this series titled The Gospel, and we're in part C now of what is striving to enter through the narrow gate, and this is really part three of the section that we're in. And we've started to come to a much clearer understanding now of what Jesus Christ meant when he spoke about striving to enter through that narrow gate. Remember, he's talked about that. What it is that he's defining for us, we're starting to see that, what it is that we have to do, and we're going to see it again today, what we have to do to strive through this narrow gate. So we're, and we're focusing on the specific verses in Matthew, aren't we? Seven, Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And we, we talked about it last week, that we're seven chapters in. We can't just take these verses. And we started last week to start to look through the context, through chapter 5. And this week we're going to go into chapter 6 and see what it actually says. But do you know what that does? You know, when we do that... We're, we actually take all the guesswork out of it. You know, for so many people, they start to take these verses out of context and they start to elaborate on them without taking into account that Jesus has already defined the criteria right in the whole section of which he's discussing it. Yeah? And as we do that, as we continue to build on our understanding of that, we don't have any doubt as to what it actually is talking about. That's so important. But doing it is quite another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Doing it is quite another thing. And we're going to see that as we go through this next chapter here. And last week, as I say, we read through chapter 5 and we got fantastic insight into what Jesus meant when he said strive. When he said agonize. But he actually defined it. And it's so important for us to understand that. So this week, as I say, we're going to start in chapter 6. And guess what? We're going to keep reading. Why do we have to keep reading? Yeah, Because Jesus Christ is telling us here what the criteria is. Remember we saw last week, he's the gatekeeper. He's the one defining who gets in the gate. Not your theology, not my theology, not anybody else's church doctrine. But he's defining it. And where is he defining it? He's defining it right here in the scripture. See? So you and I have to look at this. We have to understand this. Yeah? Not what anybody else is saying about it. We have to understand what he's saying. Because as I say, he is the gatekeeper. And guess what? If we do that, we'll get it right. <laughs> yeah? If we go by what the Lord Jesus Christ 
author and finisher of our faith says, guess what? We'll be absolutely right. Not guaranteed if you go by what I say. Not guaranteed by if you go by what anybody else says. But if we go by what he says, how he's defined this in scripture, we'll get it right. Yeah. Because we saw last week, Jesus is the gatekeeper, isn't he? He's the one that's checking out the checklist yeah, as to whether we've met the criteria by which we enter through that narrow door. And we're going to see a whole pile of people who don't make it. And we've seen that already in the previous chapters, but we're going to continue to see it because a whole pile of people don't make it. Why do you think they don't make it? Because they've already predefined it. They haven't gone by the words of Jesus Christ. They haven't gone by the criteria by which he's defined here in the context. They've gone off into their own way. Yeah. Remember when we looked at it and he said, Hold on, I hear you shouting, Lord, Lord, but I, I cannot see the direction in which you came. See, We're going to see that as we get through this. Because we're going to see a whole pile of redeemed people. We're not talking about outsiders, we're talking about a whole pile of redeemed people shouting, Lord, Lord. And he's saying to them, no, you didn't. I I taught in your houses, I taught in your streets, but you didn't do what I asked you to do. See, it's so important for us to understand this. Because it's absolutely critical, guys. Because you know what? We will not get through that narrow gate unless we do what he said to do. Your theology may say something else. Your church may say something else, but believe me, when you meet him eye to eye, iris to iris, at that gate, he's going to say, who the heck are you? So we're going to continue this week in chapter 6, verse 1, so if you go there in your notes. Before we do that, I just want to read our focal verses, yeah? Matthew 7, 13 says, enter by the narrow gate. What does that tell you? There's not a whole pile of other entrances. It's a narrow gate. We're going to have to strive. We're going to have to agonize to get through it. We've seen that. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to loss. That leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. So, you know, those on on the wide, those on the easy are in the majority. We've seen that. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. So he's already starting to define it. If you're on an easy road, if you're on a wide road, heading towards that wide and easy gate, you're going to lose. You're going to, get, you're going to be following the way of destruction, yeah. not the way of life. And those who find it are what? Few. So this week, we're going to continue reading. And if you think we got fantastic insight last week as to what we need to do, yeah, what we need to do to enter through this narrow gate, just wait till we finish today. Yeah? Because Jesus Christ does a, some, a fantastic job of explaining this. And by the way, we'll be on the same subject next week. Yeah, Because it takes a bit of understanding to get to understand what he was talking about here. Because we've got to get this right. Because he's given us two options. One is life, one is destruction, one is loss. We better be on the right track. Yeah, We've got to see it. Yeah. And in Matthew 6, and, and why do we have to get it right? Because we've seen it even up to now. The door gets shut. But the important thing to realize, when the door gets shut, there's people on the outside of that door shouting, Lord, Lord, we've done all of this stuff in your name. We're going to see it. If we don't see it this week, we'll see it next week. In your name, we've done it all for you. And he's saying, I don't know the direction in which you came. 
You didn't come the agonizing route. You didn't come the striving route. You made up your own direction. You made up your own church theology. And you said it's easy. You said you didn't need to strive. You said we didn't need to agonize. That's why you're on the shut side of the gate. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. Matthew 6.1 Now, listen up. Yeah. We've read chapter 5. We're into chapter 6 now. We're heading towards, fast and furious, towards 7, 13 and 14. Yeah, that we just read. 6.1 Beware of practicing your righteousness. What is he telling us to beware of? Practicing your righteousness in such a way that he's going to define. Practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Do you remember the, the wide gate? It leads to loss, doesn't it? Do you call that loss? Absolutely. That is loss. You're going to lose your rewards from your Father in heaven if you go through this process that he's talking about where you practice your righteousness in order to be seen by other people to be doing it. Some clues in here as to what's going on today yeah, in so many people's lives. And it'll go on in our lives if we're not careful. Don't get on your high horse just because you hear this type of teaching and don't get on your high horse because you teach this type of teaching that you can't do the same. <laughs> yeah, We're going to see it as we go through this. We are the target for Satan's deceit. We are the target because we've started to see the kingdom. We've started to see that there is a correct way to behave, a correct way to, in order to get our rewards in heaven. And believe me, you are, and I are right on his target list. Yeah, He's not concerned about those doing this so much. Because remember in 5.21 when Jesus said, our righteousness would have to exceed that of the Pharisees. Do you remember that? Yeah. There's a clue. <laughs> what they were doing. Yeah. And this is what Jesus was referring to. What they were doing. They were practicing their righteousness just to be seen to be doing it by others. We've got to be so, so careful of that. Why? Because he's defining here what it is that's going to stop us getting through the narrow gate. You understand? Keep it in that context. Keep it that firmly as your backdrop as we walk through these verses. Yeah? Of as to what we're going to have to do in order to get through that narrow gate. And we're going to see it right here. Now what did Jesus say? He said, if we do this, that's the reason we're not going to enter the kingdom. So do you think this is going to be a problem for us? Absolutely. He wouldn't have touched on it if it wasn't going to be a problem for us. He's emphasizing here this whole subject because it's going to be a problem. You and I, doing our righteousness, doing our acts, doing what he's depicting in the scripture, for other people to be seen to be doing it, it's going to be a major issue for us. So we've got to nail it. And he does it a fantastic job in this chapter 6 of doing just that. Look at verse 7. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Where? The redeemed. He's not talking about the outsiders here. He's talking about those called of God, those redeemed were doing it in the synagogues 
Oh, I'm giving to this. And they're in the streets blowing their trumpets, saying, oh yeah, 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 I'm, I'm giving all of this stuff to this organization. Oh yeah, yeah, last night I was downtown Vancouver, I gave all this stuff to the poor. But their motivation was to be seen to be doing it. And what did we read in verse 1? There's no reward for God for doing that. It's huge. And look at this. That they may be praised by others. Well done. Yeah. But I'll tell you something. It's it's not God that's patting them on the back. It's the others. It's the people in the streets. It's the people in the synagogues that are doing it. Truly I say to you. They have received the reward. Now this is really significant because as we go through this, he's going to be using these examples of people doing stuff yeah, to be seen of others and he immediately tells them they have the reward. Oh, fantastic, they get a reward. Yeah, to be seen of others. They got that pat on the back from others. That's all they're getting. They're not getting anything from our Heavenly Father for it. Yeah, And you'll see that as we go through this. What was the reward? To be praised by others. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But you ain't getting anything from our Heavenly Father. It's huge. So this reward has nothing, it's got nothing to do with God and everything to do with man. In other words, guess what? It's temporal. (laughs) Yeah, it's temporal. The minute they walked away after praising these guys, that was it. There's nothing coming up in the future for doing that other than loss. Yeah, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, look at that word, do. (laughs) Yeah, there's something for us to be doing. As we go through this section, I've emphasized these words do because there's something for us to do. But if you listen to theology today, there's nothing for you to do. Jesus did it all 2,000 years ago on the cross. Put your feet up. You're okay. It's all coming your way. You've got an inheritance in the kingdom. There's nothing for you to do. We're going to see where that's coming from. And it ain't pretty. But Jesus tells us exactly where it's coming from in these sections. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Right? So when you give, your left hand is not supposed to know that your right hand gave anything. Yeah? Verse 4. So that your giving may be in secret. Look at this. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you understand? Will the people on the outside reward you? Probably not. Because they don't even know you gave. That's not to be our concern. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand. Now, this is part of what the Pharisees, or many of the Pharisees, I should say, they weren't all like this, but many of them were hypocrites. They would stand on the street corners, and you could stand there, go to work at 9 o'clock in the morning in your car, pass them, and by the time you go home at night, they're still there praying. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. Why? Why? There it is. That they may be seen by others. That they may be seen by others. That was the whole motivation in them doing it. It wasn't their concern for the people they were praying for, whoever they were praying for. It was so that everybody around about them could say, Wow, that's four hours that guy's been there now. (laughs) Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. What reward? To be seen by others. That was it. That was it. Period. (laughs) Yeah. And that's often what the Pharisees would do so that... What rewards do you think these people are getting? That is it. Their only reward is to be seen by others. 
But do you see the rewards here are set in contrast to God's rewards? That's huge. So if we ever do these things and our motivation is wrong, we'll not be rewarded by God. So we better do a checkup from the neck up whenever we're doing some things like this. Yeah, We better change. And we saw it last week. We have to change, don't we? We have to change. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What do you want to be doing? Exactly that. <laughs> yeah? Are you getting the message that nothing is hidden from the Father? Yeah. <laughs> yeah? You may pull the wool over your own eyes, and many do. You may pull the wool over my eyes, and many try to do. But the Father sees everything. He even sees right into the depth of our hearts. Yeah. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they what? Think. So they're, they're convinced, they're, th- they're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just keep repeating these phrases, complete, keep repeating these long prayers, and God, oh, he, he loves us. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Do you realize that's a lot of news for people? That there's a kingdom, an earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ coming onto earth. That is news for most people. Ask them about it. Because they've got heaven firmly set in their heart. That when they die, they're going to heaven. And he's saying here, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done where? In heaven? On earth. On earth. (laughs) Yeah. As it is in heaven. So are you starting to see what our destination is in the future? Or where our destination is in the future? It's right here on earth. In a very different earth, I have to say. But it's right here on earth. It's God's kingdom right here now. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, and that should read, from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. For if, I put that in red in your, in your notes, yeah, for a reason. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now I said last week that most of the words that we're reading here have been thrown into the history books by most of Christian. Because of their dispensational theology that says, oh yeah, he was talking to the Jews here. He wasn't actually talking to the redeemed. Oh yeah? That is a lie. Why is it a lie? Because he's talking about his coming earthly kingdom and that's our only destination for everyone. Yeah? So when somebody comes up and says that to you, hold on, you mean there's another kingdom you're talking about then that we end up in? No, there isn't. You mean there's another narrow gate that we're supposed to... No, there isn't. Enter by the narrow gate. There's not a whole pile of gates up there that are narrow and you choose which one you want. There's one entrance into the kingdom and there's one criteria for getting into that kingdom and we're reading it right here in the scripture. So for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. What do you don't? You see, he's just blowing off here and he just, he just you know, he was hard up for something to say. 
No, if you don't forgive others, guess what? God will not forgive you. He should know. (laughs) He's the only begotten Son of God. Everything he spoke was the truth. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This could be any clearer than that. I don't even need to elaborate on that. It's so clear. Forgive others. Is that easy? No, it's agony at times. Remember we read it last week. When you get persecuted for me, rejoice, be glad. Is that easy? Absolutely not. Pray for them. Is that easy? Absolutely not. That's why he said it's going to be few. That's why he said it's going to be agony. Because for you and I to do that can be agony. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be what? Seen by others. Do you see where that's coming up all the time? Seen by others. What's the priority? Seen by others. I'm going to church this Sunday. Seen by others. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to that midweek fellow. Seen by... So often that's why they do it. Now there's people that do it for their hunger for Christ. People who do it because they want to know God. I know that. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the hypocrites that it's talking about in this section. Yeah. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward What's the reward? To be seen of others. Yeah. Verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may, be, may not be seen by others. Do you see that? God doesn't want us doing stuff to be seen by others to be doing it. But by your Father who is in secret, that's who he, God wants us to be focused on. That's who Jesus Christ is saying, look, do it this way. Do it this way and your father, he'll see you. Mm-hmm. you. You can go into a darkened room and do it. Yeah. He'll see you. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You will get rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about other people seeing you doing it. So, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you get it? Mm-hmm. We don't need to be out there blowing our trumpets. We don't need to be on Facebook telling people how great we are about how great the works that we're doing are, the Father sees in secret. Shut up. Keep it quiet. That's what he's saying. And if you do that, you will get rewarded from your Father who is in heaven. So whenever you don't do that, you've just given up your reward. It's huge. Verse 19. Do you see the dues coming up? (laughs) But do you realize that most of Christendom is saying you don't need to do any of this? Where are you going to end up If you don't do what the Lord Jesus Christ said to do. Outside the kingdom. That's how massive this is. And you can shroud this in all your theology. And superimpose all your dispensational theology on top of this. All you like. It's not going to change the outcome. Mm -hmm. Because we saw it earlier. They thought... That what they were doing was going to get rewarded. We're going to see it, if not this week, as I say next week. People who thought, totally convinced, I'm doing the right stuff. I'm doing all the right works, signs, miracles and wonders. What am I doing? Shut out of the kingdom. This is serious stuff. This is so, so serious. And we so watered down because we think, oh God is unconditional love. He'll let me in that gate anyway. Doesn't matter what direction I'm coming in. Oh, yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You are not going to get in that gate. I don't care how sincere you are. I don't care how much you've done. He will not allow you and I into the kingdom unless we do what he's asked us to do. Now you may think different, and I've thought different for 30 odd years of my life, but that doesn't change the outcome. really doesn't. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What's that talking about? These rewards here are all connected to what it's telling us in the context. You can't suck that out of there. I'm getting rewarded anyway. No, you're going to get rewarded because you're doing what he asked us to do. Yeah? Yeah. Because we're doing exactly what he's telling us right here. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we're learning right here, guys. Right here, how to lay up treasures in heaven. That's what we're learning. If we do what he's just told us through the last few chapters, we're going to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So whenever you meet someone whose treasure is in their material abundance here on earth, that's exactly where their heart is. Do you understand? That's exactly where their heart is. In the temporal. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy and your whole, body, uh, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Look at verse 24. No one. How many? No one. <laughs> in other words, there's no exceptions to this rule. Despite what you think in your head, and I think at times in my head, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. Oh, but God, I'm praying for this million dollar lottery ticket, and when I get it, I'll be able to serve you so much greater. We've all probably prayed that. (laughs) One time or another. Yeah, if I get rid of all these issues in my life, God, I can focus on you. What does the scripture teach? The t- scripture teaches you cannot serve God and money. Now that doesn't mean if you have money, you have to serve it. But it's telling us the danger and deceitfulness of riches. Yeah? Got to be aware of it. But guess what? You can take that to the bank and cash it in. Because it's true. You know why we know it's true? Because it's coming out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Yeah, it's fantastic this. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do, (laughs) do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink. Now, are you you in the context here of agony? Are you in the context here of striving through this narrow gate? Don't lose that in in these sections, in these verses as we go through them. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? You try that. 
<laughs> and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Do you get the striving in some, some of these things? Yeah, The agony of some of these things. So you have to put off that thought pattern of being concerned about being anxious for all this stuff. What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Have you, have you looked at the adverts around the world re- recently? It's all about the stuff. Clothing, food, car, you know, all the stuff of life. Yeah, That's all the Gentiles are focused on. Coming into this holiday period called Christmas. Yeah, I say called Christmas because it's got so little to do with Christ. It makes your head spin. And that's all they're concerned about. You and I will go downtown today and we'll see everybody running about like ants buying gifts for each other and wondering, oh, well, I've got to buy a bigger one. Otherwise, she won't think I really love her. So sad. Verse 33. Sorry, 32. But the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them all. Look at verse 33, guys. But! Yeah. He said in contrast here, all that stuff, he says, but this is what you've got to do if you're going to stride through that narrow gate. Remember, that's the context we're running in here. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What's the context? Doing all this stuff, not to be seen of others, doing all this stuff so in secret so that we can be rewarded of our God, by our God. And we're to what? Why do we do that? Because we know the reward's going to be in the kingdom. It's not necessarily going to turn up today. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all that stuff will be added to you. And we superimpose that now on life today. What's the context of all that stuff being added to you? Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. So Jesus is reiterating what the subject is, isn't he? He's he's setting another reminder because we're going through a whole pile of stuff. He's saying, hold on, this is the priority. Mm -hmm. Seeking the kingdom and his righteousness is your priority. Don't be doing things to be seen of people. Verse 34, therefore, what does that tell you? It ties it from the last thing that was said. Therefore, because you're seeking the kingdom and his righteousness and all this stuff's going to get added to you, therefore... Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It will take care of your anxiety. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of anxiety for tomorrow. Yeah? You're not going to run out of that in this world. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, do you see and feel the whole context we've just been through? Are you feeling the agony? <laughs> yeah, I want you to feel the agony. Yeah? I don't want to be on my own feeling the agony. But do you feel the striving? The trouble? Of what it's going to take as we move into chapter 7 here. Chapter 7 verse 1. Here's a really easy one. Judge not. Boy. Every day you'll have to change your thinking on that. Judge not. That you be not judged. There's a correlation there. The more judging you do, the more judging you're getting. Yeah, we're going to see that as we go through this. 
So how we judge others is going to have a direct impact on how we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That's huge. So I wouldn't be judging anybody if I was you. Yeah. And we endeavor not to judge others and we better do it. Yeah. Look at verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And I regularly go back over my life in confession, saying if I've ever judged anybody, take that back. I take it back. Because that's what I'm going to get judged by. According to Jesus Christ, the author of Christian or faith, that's what's going to happen. And guess what? That's what's going to happen. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We all better hear that. Do you know why? It's the truth from the lips of Jesus Christ. That's why. So we're hearing the truth here. As we, as we read on. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? So we go talking about other people, go talking and judging other people, and say, oh yeah, but they, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. Uh, and uh, Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you aren't doing it. And I am not doing it. And I want this series to be a, such a huge focus on your life. My life. Not other people's lives. I don't want you looking at this and saying, oh yeah, I know somebody like that. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm pointing a finger at them. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, yeah, because we're North America, so you've got to say that. Back at the ranch, you're not doing it. Do you see this deceit? The deceit of that is huge. Yeah, and I, we've got to nail it. For each other and in our own lives, we've got to nail it. Don't judge others. Get focused on your own life. Yeah, verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Let me fix your issue. When there is the log in your own eye. Have you ever spoken about people like that? We all have. Verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs. Let them trample, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, we're about to read into a section here that we have all taken right out of its context for years. And the context we've been building, are you, are you clear on the context we've been building for the last few weeks? The context here, yeah, that we're just about to get into in this section here, but the context of the people that Jesus Christ is depicting here the context is someone who is living the standard that we just read about in the context. They're not judging people. Understand? They're people who are seeking first the kingdom. It's a person who is not hypocritical. They're not going about blowing their own trumpet, standing on the street corners praying to be praised of others. You got that? Yeah. That's who he's talking about. It's someone who's confident toward God, not anxious, but confident in seeking first the kingdom. This, is, this next section we're getting into is not talking about an outsider, someone who doesn't live by the standards that we just read, by, set out by Jesus Christ in this context. And then these people, then they go ahead and knock on the door and every, every, everything then is then given to them because they've knocked on the door. But that's the way we so often have read this. Said, oh, you're outside the church, just knock on Jesus' door and he'll let you in. No, he won't. Why? Because we just read it. 
We read the standard by which you get through the narrow door. Don't lose that as we go into this section about knocking on a door and he's going to throw it wide open. He's going to throw it wide open when we do what he said to do. Verse 7. Ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Who's the you? The you is the people that we've read about in the context that are doing what he asked to do. This is not somebody outside of the will of God who hates God and on a Friday night he decides, oh Jesus, yeah, I'll knock the door and all, all heaven just falls onto me. But that's the way it's taught in the majority of Christendom today. You want to know Jesus? Just knock the door and it'll be opened up to you. No, it won't. It'll be opened up to you when you meet and follow the standards by which Jesus Christ is telling us here that we've got to live. But if you're a hypocrite, if you don't love people, don't forgive people, don't do all the stuff that we've just read about in the context, guess what? The door remains closed. Yeah? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened up to you. Who's the you? That is not those people outside of the church, outsiders who hate God, hate Jesus Christ. He's got to read it in the context. Verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks it will be opened. We're going to see that the door he's talking about, <laughs> do you remember Yeah, the context here? The door, the gate that he's talking about, is that which is narrow, which you're going to have to strive, which you're going to have to agonize through. Then it gets opened. Verse 9. And by the way, it's only open to a few. Do you remember that? <laughs> Yeah, it's only open to a few. And remember, the redeemed are on the other side of the door, thrashing at the door handle, Yeah, saying, let us in. And he's saying, no, you didn't come in the direction I asked you to come. I taught in your streets, taught in your houses, you didn't do what I asked you to do. Were they knocking? You bet they were. Were they asking? You bet they were. Did they get through it? No, they didn't. Hmm. Verse 8, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those that ask him? He will give to us. But when will he give to us? When we do the stuff in secret that we read about. Yeah? When we live the qualities that Jesus Christ is asking us to live by. So this in the context of those who are walking in the will of the Father. We can't just suck these verses out of the whole context we've been reading. But that's so often done. So this here is referring to an obedient son. Do you see that? Not a disobedient son. Because it's through that obedience that we are the sons of God. Yeah. Remember we looked at the Pharisees shouting, Yeah, we're the seed, we're the seed of Abraham. Yeah. He said, No, you're not. You, you may have come from the city here, but not, you're not, I'm defining you now as the sons of Satan. Why? Because of what they did. Yeah, got to remember that. Verse, 13, sorry, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, listen up, right? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, we just read verse 12 there, didn't we? But guess what the next verse is? It's verse 13. That's a focal verse, isn't it? Verse 13 and 14. But look at what we just read. 
Do you see the two do's, two times, <laughs> two do's, yeah, in verse 12? Right at the narrow gate, he's given us two things to do, along with all the other things that we have to do. But don't forget that as we read into verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. There it is. Our first question should be, how do I do that? How do I do that? And we've seen it right here in the whole context of what we've read from chapter 5, verse 1 onwards. What we need to do to enter this narrow gate. Have you got a feeling now of the agony of the striving it's going to take to enter it? You don't just, okay, I want to get in now. Oh yeah? Which direction did you come in? Oh, well I came the easy and the wide path where everybody said all I had to do was hold up my hand in a meeting. All anybody said to do is pick up a Bible at the front, walk to the back, come to church regularly, and I'm in. Well, I don't know you. I don't know you. Because they haven't instigated any change. We saw that last week. One of the criteria that Jesus Christ set before the disciples was, you have to change like this little kid, this little child, unless you change, you will not inherit the kingdom. He couldn't make it any clearer, could he? But theology has now mystified the whole thing, that you can hold up your hand in a meeting, give your heart to Jesus, let Jesus into your heart, all the stuff that they throw at people, and they've said, oh no, it's not difficult. You don't need to strive. Guys, we're going to see it coming up before we finish today. How you define false prophets. We're going to see it. So he said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. Do you ever ask yourself, why is it easy? Because you don't have to take on any of the qualities that Jesus Christ outlined in the previous chapters. You don't need to do any of that. That's easy. You have to figure that out. Because you don't need to do anything. Look at verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And we're going to start to understand why Jesus said it will be few. That will enter and will strive through the narrow gate. And you know all we have to do to understand that? Keep reading. <laughs> yeah? Don't go off on one. Say, oh well, how do we define them? Jesus Christ nails them. Jesus Christ nails them right here. Why there's going to be few and who are going to ensure that there will be few. He's going to reveal it right here, why it's going to be a few. So now we're going to read why it's going to be a few. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> yeah? That enters through the narrow gate. Now, here's a clue. Next verse. Next verse! But what do we do so often? We stop. Yeah? We stop reading. Oh, it's going to be a few. Yeah, why is it going to be a few? Verse 15 tells us. Beware of false prophets. That's why it's going to be a few. Because they're teaching an easy gate. They're teaching a wide gate. They're teaching it's an easy way. In total opposition to Jesus Christ. Who said, no, no, no. You're going to have to strive. You're going to have to agonize. You're going to have to change. And they're shouting from their pulpits, no you don't. That's why it's going to be a few. 
The reason and the justification for it being a few are these false prophets. They're going to be teaching. And you know this? They're going to be accepted. Everybody's going to love them. Why? Because it's easy. There's no pain involved. Do you want to take a tooth out with an anesthetic or without an anesthetic? Oh, anesthetic please. Thank you very much. Yeah. They'll dive for the easy way every time. Yeah, You and I better not. Why? Because we want to get through that narrow gate. And the pain of getting through that narrow gate is far superseded in the kingdom to come. Remember what he was doing there? He was saying, guys, you're going to get rewarded. You may do it in secret. You may do all this stuff. Don't blow about it. Keep it quiet. Because you're going to get rewarded. When? Certainly not in this life, to a large extent. It's coming in the coming earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. When those who do what he asked us to do will rule and reign with him in that coming kingdom. But because of these false prophets, many will not. Yeah, many will not. But look at the next part. How do they come? They come in sheep's clothing. You do not recognize them. Do you understand that? You and I will not recognize those false prophets. Why? Because they're covered in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Why are they ravenous wolves? Because they're pointing people to a wide and easy gate that is going to be their destruction. But get it clear in all of our hearts and minds, you will not recognize them. And I know immediately in your head you're saying, oh yeah, by their fruits you shall know them. No, you won't. No, you won't. And we're going to see that. Maybe not today, but we'll see it in the week, probably next week. Yeah. So the very first warning after the word, and those who find it are few as what? Beware of false prophets. There's a clue. He said, there's going to be few, but you've got to beware of these guys. Do you remember when the apostles and the disciples asked Jesus Christ, what are the signs of the end times, Jesus? We know you're getting out of here and leaving us with all this crowd. yeah? But what's the signs of you coming back? First things out of his mouth, watch out for deceit. So what's the first thing you and I should watch out for? Absolute deceit. But do you see where the deceit is coming from? It's coming from those false prophets in sheep's clothing that are showing us the wide and easy gate. And they're deceiving many. Hey, we're not talking about the minority here. We're talking about the majority. And we're going to start to get an understanding of the impact of these false prophets. It's absolutely huge. Yeah. But we need to be so clear on this that the reason so few are going to gain their inheritance in Christ's coming kingdom is because of the effect of these false prophets. Yeah? So what should you and I be so wary of then? Exactly what Jesus is warning us about right here. They're going to come, but look, listen, they're going to be shouting, Lord, Lord Jesus. 
We saw that in Galatians a few months back. Yeah, They're going to come in my name. And Paul said that when you desert the true gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you're deserting him. Yeah, It's, it's huge, huge. So verse 15 tells us a huge truth, doesn't it? It tells us they're going to look the part. They're going to look the part. But inside, underneath the cloak, they're ravenous wolves. And we're just about to see that they're also going to sound the part. Not only will you get fooled by how they look on the outside, you will get fooled by how they sound. Verse 16, you will. You will. That's future tense. Recognize them by their fruits. Now we're, going to get, we're running out of time here. We're going to handle this next week because I just said earlier, no, you won't. Jesus is saying, yes, you will. Yeah, but we've got to figure out when. <laughs> when is such an important key and we'll get into it next week. So you will recognize them by their fruits and grapes gathered from thorn bushes or, or figs from thistles. It says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? Now, in this specific context, Jesus says you will, doesn't he? You will, future tense, recognize them and know them by their fruits. But what is the whole context of what we're reading here? Yeah? Is the context talking about today? It's not. It's not talking about today. This is all about a few, do you remember the, the narrow gate? A few going where? Entering through the narrow gate. That's the whole context. We're not going to know these false prophets by their fruits today. Because do you remember those shouting outside, Hold on, Lord, Lord, Lord. We've done many mighty miracles in your name. We've done signs, miracles and wonders in your name. Believe me, you and I can get fooled by that. And the many do get fooled by it. Because Jesus Christ doesn't deem that important. Because guess what? They're shouting from the shut door of the kingdom. So you thinking going walking into a church, oh, somebody got healed last night, somebody prophesying over here, doing this work and that work and this work. Oh, I'm in the right place. Oh, you may not be. <laughs> you may be, but you may not be. Yeah, and all the indications of scripture are that should not be what you're judging that situation to be as truth. Yeah. Jesus Christ any to go by. Yeah, and he sure is. And we're not going to see it this week, but next week we're going to see that that is revealed in the resurrection. Yeah. We're going to see it so clearly. Uh, we'll be coming back to this section next week because we're out of time. Let me tell you something. <laughs> you will not be able to tell them by their fruits today. Yeah, because they're coming sheep's clothing. They're ravenous wolves on the inside. And on the day of the resurrection next week, we're going to see what happens. They're unveiled for what they really are. So for next week, here's a bit of homework for you. You've got to figure out from the context that we've been reading over the last few weeks how you and I can define these false prophets. Now you're welcome to email me with the answers if you want. And I can shout out your name over the internet. Yeah, So you can get your rewards there and then. <laughs> yeah, uh, But think about it. Think about what we've been through the last few weeks. How do we define the false prophets? There you go. There's a bit of homework. About time you guys did some homework. So, and as I say, you're welcome to email me. So we'll pick it up from here next week. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your scriptures. We thank you for the defining truth of the words of Jesus Christ. 
And Father, for a tremendous week ahead, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.